0: Great to have you here this morning, really looking forward to this morning. Don't forget to bring your friends to inspire. Remember two weeks ago I brought my friends Charles Price from Toronto and Zach from Winnipeg and this morning I bring my two friends, Becca uh, from Saskatoon and Berlin from Toronto. So I'm going to the ends of the earth, right, to find my friends, to bring them here to inspire. So you can also, I'm sure, as well. I was excited uh, to uh, get an email from Charles this week to say how much he enjoyed being here two weeks ago. He said, what a beautiful spirit there is in, in this church. That's what he said to me. What a beautiful spirit, Neil. And he's been booked for Mount Tambourine Easter Convention. Did you know that? Ah, Charles has been booked for Mount Tambourine Easter Convention 2025. So I've sent him an email and I've said to Charles, inspire... The Wednesday before Easter, April the 16th, 2025, could you come back? So mark that date in your diaries, April 16, 2025. I've also asked him to pe- uh, preach here as well on the Sunday before. That would be Palm Sunday as well, but yet to confirm on that. Talking to Charles, he told me that this great story, really good story. Charles is very good friends with Tony Campolo, who I'm sure many of you know his name. And Charles told me that uh, every year Tony Campolo organises a big dinner. And so he gets all of his rich friends and their friends and their friends to come to this big dinner which Tony Campolo hosts. And the whole idea is to raise money and particularly his uh, support is for getting prostitutes out of prostitution. So it's to raise money for that as well as other things. I love this story. And Charles told me that Tony Campolo, Charles wasn't there at this dinner, right? But Tony Campolo told Charles this story, that at the big dinner, I think it was about two or three years ago, there's a man called Michael Green, who's an author, I've read a couple of his books, and he turned to the man next to him and said to him, hello, my name is Michael, what's your name? And this gentleman said, my name's Mick. And Michael said, oh, hello, Mick. Isn't that unusual, right, that Michael should be sitting next to Mick? He said, I'm so pleased to meet you. What is your last name? And the man said, Jagger. (laughs) And Michael, having no idea who Mick Jagger is, I cannot believe this, right, said to him, hello, Mick Jagger, what a pleasure it is to meet you. And Mick Jagger replied this, In 50 years, no one's ever asked me my name. And he said, you are the first in 50 years, and you and I are going to be great friends. How good is that? How good is that? Michael Green, a Christian author, sitting next to Mick Jagger. Amazing. All right, John chapter 17. John chapter 17, as we're going through the I Am statements of Jesus in the gospel according to John, and we come to John chapter 17, verses 1 to 11, and then 20 to 26. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for the words that you gave to me I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf, I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them and now i am no longer in the world but they are in the world and i am coming to you holy father protect them in your name so that you have name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one and then over to verse 20 i ask not only on behalf of these but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one as you father are in me and i in you may they also be in us So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory which you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you. These know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them and I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. In the past few weeks, as I said, we've been looking at the I am statements in the gospel according to John. And this morning, perhaps the most profound of all, the statement that Jesus gives, I am, I am. This time there's no predicate to that sentence. It's not I am the light of the world or I am the resurrection and the life or I am the bread, but just I am, I am. To anyone but a Jew, to say those words, I am, well, we go, okay, well, fair enough. You are. You are. You're standing right here before me or something like that. It doesn't have much meaning. But for a Jew, this is an incredibly amazing statement. For this statement is a self-disclosure that this person is making a claim of deity. It's a statement full of history and meaning and purpose. The two words, I am, and the name of God, but not just any name, but the most personal and sacred name of God, so sacred, in fact, the Jews would never say it, spelt Y-H-W-H. Now, whenever I teach the doctrine of God in my theology classes, I always pause for a moment, I'll do the same with you, and I ask the students, say for me, pronounce for me Y H W H. Ah, some people say Yahweh, right? But you've put an A and an E in there. How would you say Y H W H? This is what I say. <sighs> Isn't it amazing? God's most personal name sounds like breath. And then I thought one day, I thought I want to take this a little bit further. So going to Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, God has created Adam out of the dust of the ground and God (sighs) breathes up Adam's nostrils. Man's very first thought was, who the heck is breathing up my nostrils? And then he becomes a living soul, a living nephesh. So through the breath of God, Adam then becomes a living being, through breath, tying back to God's most personal name. John chapter 20 verse 22, Jesus has been raised from the dead and there he stands in the midst of the disciples and he goes around to each one of them and it says he "Ah," breathed on them and said receive the Holy Spirit, each one, each disciple, "Ah," receive the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit, Spirit. "Ah," receive the Holy Spirit. Now, there's different thoughts of whether disciples actually received the Holy Spirit at that time or not. I think, no, they didn't. But Jesus was acting out what would occur in Acts chapter 2, in the day of Pentecost, where the disciples have gathered in that room to pray, and in answer to Jesus' prayer, not their prayer, Jesus' prayer back in John 14, that Jesus prayed that the Holy Spirit might be given to the disciples in Acts chapter 2, that occurs on the day of Pentecost. And I wonder if the disciples thought for a moment, as they're now filled with the Holy Spirit, this is an answer to Jesus' prayer way back in John chapter 14, acted out for us in John chapter 20, but now reality in our lives that we have the living God within us. Because Jesus breathed. Breathed. Now for a Jew, Breath comes from right down at the bottom of the lungs here, right? Very center of your, breath, of your being. So when you breathe out, you're breathing what is in the very essence of you, the very center of your being. Not something on the periphery, not something on the edge. So when God breathes into you and me, His Holy Spirit, He's giving us the very essence of who He is. God exhales and He... Breathes his Holy Spirit into you and me, and guess what the result is? We become alive. We become alive in God. Love it. Beautiful. Y H W H. To get around the problem that this name is so sacred to a Jew, the Masoretes decided that they would add two vowel points into that name and they added the A and the E and so we have today the name Yahweh. But even that in itself was too sacred to say. For anyone to use that name, they said, would be committing blasphemy. So imagine the shock when Jesus is standing there and Jesus says the most sacred name and he's saying it of himself. Now, Jesus never came out to the crowds and said, I am God. And Probably the reason for that is it would have caused an uproar, probably meant that he would be arrested, he would be charged, he would be sentenced to death, and he would not accomplish all the things that the Father had required of him. So Jesus never made that statement, I am God. But it's so clear for us in this passage and in John chapter 8 as well, that Jesus is proclaiming deity. John chapter 8, verses 23 and 24. Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees, You are from below, I am from above, you're of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for you will die in your sins, unless you believe that I am He. And then again in John chapter 8, verse 58 Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was. I am he. It couldn't be any clearer to those who were standing there. For Jesus to use the words, I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life. These are not just throwaway lines, but Jesus says in these statements, he's saying, right, this is who I am. I am a person of significance. This is who you are not, and you need that relationship with me. So shocked, so shocked were the Jews. Upon hearing Jesus say, Very truly I tell you before, Abraham was, I am. John eight fifty nine. they'd pick up stones to throw at Jesus. They clearly knew what he was implying. And since they didn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah... Not to have done so, not to have picked up stones, they would have been guilty themselves. For anyone who claimed to be God deserved to be put to death. Unless, of course, Jesus is the word become flesh. And if that's true, then this is one of the most awesome statements that Jesus could ever make, coming from the lips of a human being. So let's do a little bit of the history into I Am, Exodus chapter 3. Moses, the age of 80 years. For the previous 40 years, he's been looking after sheep. 40 years. Waking up every morning, having his bacon and eggs. Well, probably not the bacon, the eggs anyway. And hearing, "ba, ba, ba." I want water. Ba. I want food. Ba. Ba. Thinking to myself, what's God doing with my life? 40 years. I always wonder, what did Moses think on the 39th year? How much longer, Lord? And of course, God uses everything, doesn't He? Everything in our lives. And 40 years of hearing, ba, ba, I want food. Ba, ba, I want water. For the next 40 years, he'd lead two, two and a half million people through the desert. And what would he hear every day? Ba, I want food. Ba, I want water. And Moses thinking to himself, oh, give me something new. I've heard that. I heard that for 40 years. Living it all again this time with the people. Anyway, there he was. He was there looking after the sheep because he had seen an Egyptian kill a Hebrew and so Moses went out and killed the Egyptian. Thinking that the Hebrew people would go, Moses, Moses, you are our man. But they turned on Moses. Are you going to kill us also? Are we going to be next? So in fear out of his own life, and fear out of Pharaoh, he fled into the desert for the 40 years there and looked after the sheep. Then one day, extraordinary event. Major Thomas used to preach on this. Any old bush would do. You heard that message if you haven't heard. Any old bush will do. It's not the bush that what was important. What was important was that God was in the bush. That's what was important. Any bush will do. Moses turned one day and there he sees the bush and it's burning up but it's not burned up. And this, this is strange because in the desert... Bushes burn up all the time because of the heat but this bush continued to burn and so Moses went over to see what it was and an angel of the Lord spoke out of the bush and said to Moses take off your shoes you're standing on holy ground and commissioned him to lead the Israelites who are in slavery in Egypt out of Egypt and into the promised land. Now you would think wouldn't you Moses at the age of 80, yes, yes, God, yes, I've been waiting this so long, 40 years. The age of 80. No, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. In fact, he gave four excuses to God why he didn't want to go. Age wasn't one of them. Isn't that strange? Age wasn't one of them. Oh, God, I'm 80.
1: I'm over
0: it. Oh, I just want to sit on a beach somewhere, right, and just have the Mediterranean waters lap at my feet. No, no, H wasn't one of them. It's, It's God, I'm nobody. I'm just a nobody. And one of the excuses was this, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, what shall I say to them? And God's reply to Moses is this, I am who I am. And then he goes on further in Exodus chapter 3. Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, this is in capital letters, L-O-R-D, which is where we get Y-H-W-H. So when you see Lord in capital letters in your Bible, that's the most sacred name of God. Sometimes you'll see Lord just with the capital L and then small case, O-R-D. But now these are all in capitals. the most sacred name of God. The God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. It's a strange name. I am who I am. For it says to us that God cannot be defined. It's impossible for us as humans to know everything about God. God is simple, but God is also complex. And our brains cannot understand his fullness. We try, don't we? We try to discern God's will. We try to think, Lord, I think you're leading me in this direction. We grapple with situations that happen in our lives. God, you are all powerful, but you're not doing something. Why not? Or God does something and amazes us and you go, wow, that was a surprise. I never expected that. Why doesn't God step in and prevent some of the horrible things that happen to people sometimes? Yet if we're going to be honest, we're going to say, if we knew everything about God, he would not be God. If we had God all worked out, then the mystery about him would disappear and we would be able to predict his next move. God, I know you so well. I'm single, right? But they tell me married couples are like this who've been married for fifty years or so, right? You know, you know what your spouse is gonna do. You know her so well or him is so well. If we knew God like that, oh God, I know what you're gonna to do tomorrow. Oh, I've got it all worked out. He's not like that, is he? He surprises us. For God to be God, he must always be bigger than our knowledge and experience of him. The, creator must always, the creature must always be less than the creator. And that means that we can never complete the sentence, God is. We do our best, right? God is love, but God is more, much more than that. God is all-powerful. But that doesn't sum up all that God is. God has no equivalent. He has no opposite. The devil is not the opposite of God. The devil is only the opposite of the highest angel in heaven. God has no equal and he has no opposite. So put God on one side of the equation and say, God equals, you cannot answer the rest of that equation. To whom or what can you compare him? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 18. We looked at this last year. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? Isaiah 45, verse 5. I am the Lord, there is no other besides me, there is no God. So if we, if we, if we had the opportunity to ask God, God, who are you? His answer might come back to us, I am what I am. And that means that we need God to reveal himself to us. We need that self-disclosure. We need that revelation of God. Otherwise, we're kept in the dark. Otherwise, we're just like ants. They're scurrying around every day, working so hard to build the nest, to protect the nest, to make the nest greater. And that close to the end of the ant's life. The ant looks back and goes, all my hard work, I'm just giving it all over to the next generation. God is beyond definition, exalted above all of our knowledge of Him. He cannot be defined. And the second thing is that God is beyond manipulation. In the days of, Mo- of Moses, the Egyptians thought up gods and they gave names to them. They worshipped them, they sacrificed to them, they prayed to them that these gods might bless them and protect them. And to an Egyptian, the name of God, small g, was more than just a label given to their god. It defined the essence of that god, his character and power. To know his name was to have secret knowledge. So Egyptian priests underwent a long initiation process full of different rituals before they were deemed worthy to know the name of this God. In knowing these name, then they had secret knowledge of him. We know that knowledge is power, don't we? And so for an Egyptian priest, to know a God's name meant you had the ability to, To harness his power. To invoke a God by his name in the correct way would mean calling on him, obliging him to do something good for you. So in a way, his powers were at your disposal. Well, that's what they believed, the Egyptians. For 430 years, the Israelites saturated in Egyptian gods and powers and religion. So it's understandable that the Israelites, when Moses comes to them, the question they ask of him is this. You tell us you've had some extraordinary encounter with God out there in the desert. Well, if you have, tell us his name. Moses would reply, I am that I am. Actually, he would reply, Y-H-W-H. Actually, he would reply, (sighs) Moses, you've had this great encounter with this God in the burning bush out there in the desert. We want to know his name. Tell us his name. Moses, Moses, sorry, you didn't hear our question. We want to know his name. Breath. Because breath gives life. In that statement, God told Moses that he was not a God, that Moses could know everything about, that Moses could manipulate like the Egyptian gods, That he is God and Moses is his servant. And YHWH could also be translated, I will be what I will be. God is sovereign in himself. And God will turn out to be to Moses, to the Israelites, whatever he determines to be. We don't in any way determine what God will be for us. We can never choose what God will be for us. He is God. That means that we can never manipulate him. God is not at our disposal, like the Egyptian priests are their gods. God is never at our beck and call, no matter how desperate we are, wanting God to do a particular thing. We pray the prayer, don't we? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven that means that everything that happens in your life everything that happens in my life happens because God has sovereignly determined that it will happen or God has sovereignly determined to allow it to happen everything God says, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious. Romans chapter 9, verse 18. God has mercy on whom he, whomever he chooses. He hardens the heart of whomever he chooses. We know that to be true with Pharaoh. Moses went up to Pharaoh 10 times. By memory, I think it's five. It's five each side. The Pharaoh hardened his own heart five times and God hardened Pharaoh's heart five times. God, hardening a person's heart? How does that happen? God brought the plague upon Egypt and Pharaoh had the choice. Either let the Israelites go into the desert and worship God for three days or Pharaoh had the choice. No, no, no. So God hardened his heart by bringing a calamity on the nation and then Pharaoh responding with an even harder heart. I will not let your people go. So God is not our servant, we are his. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. All things have been handed over to me, says Jesus, by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Isn't it true when we we talk about a person becoming Christian... We talk about them repenting of their sin and having faith in Jesus and praying the sinner's prayer and receiving the Holy Spirit. And it seems all about the person. But look what God's been doing in the background. God's been convicting that person of their sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, God's been removing that veil of unbelief that Satan has put over their minds so that they might see the light of the glory of the gospel in Christ Jesus. God has been doing all that work when the person kneels or stands or sits and they say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I turn from it. I believe that you died on the cross for me, rose again. I give my life to you, and I receive your life into me. But salvation's not the end. Salvation is just the beginning of that work of God. Now he begins that beautiful transformation in us and through us, making us into the likeness of Christ. And it will not be complete until the day of his appearing, Philippians chapter 1. God cannot be defined, God cannot be manipulated, and God is beyond anticipation. God is beyond anticipation. Moses asked the question, Whom God? Whom shall I say, has sent me when the Israelites asked me of this question. Now God could have remained silent. I'm not telling you, Moses. My name is secret and sacred and I'm keeping it to myself. He could have determined not to reveal it to Moses. But God says, I am that I am. I will be what I will be. Also, could be translated, I will be for you what I will be for you. I will be present with you, Moses, as all that I will turn out to be. God had heard the cries of his people in slavery in Egypt. God had heard all that. He suffered, God had suffered every affliction that they were suffering. They were his people. And he'd now determined that now is the moment he would come down to his own people, deliver them out of affliction and bondage, set them free, give them a land of their own. And in that land, they would discover that God is good, way above all that they could think or imagine, that they would receive amazing blessings from him. And in return, God says... Love me by trusting me and being obedient to me. I've shown my love to you. Now you respond back to me through trust and obedience. For in the Old Testament, the name of God and saving always go together. God is a God of grace who loves to bless us. He knows the exact thing thing that will bring you great joy, great joy. He's never tight-fisted, he never holds his hands over his chest, no, 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 he's not like that. The Lord's words to Moses in giving of his name were these, was these, I will be present among you as you all, as all that you discover me to be. Moses bowed his face to the Lord and heard God say to him, I am the Lord. Moses then began a journey, a journey with God where he would find that God would reveal more to him every moment that Moses went with this journey with God. Every experience of God brought Moses a deeper knowledge of God. Until he could say, he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So each time that you and I read these four letters, YHWH, we see a little bit more of God as he reveals himself to us. Genesis chapter 15, verse 7, the Lord spoke to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you from the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. What does that say to you and me? It says this, that God is a giving God. He guides us, we saw this in John chapter 15, a month ago. He guides us to places where we will be the most fruitful for him. And if God determines There is another place where you need to be, where you can show more fruit of the Spirit, and not only that, but that you can grow and be more fruitful, and that more people might come to Christ, and more people might know Christ, then I am going to move you over to this place. I am going to lift you up. Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord, capital letters, your God, who has freed you from the burdens of the Egyptians. What's that saying to us, that God is a saving God? He delivers us. Our bondage and slavery to sin, God rescues us. I heard a great line on Saturday as I was teaching my students. It was on a video and said this, a guy said this, freedom from God is slavery to sin. Isn't that true? Freedom from God is slavery to sin. Too many people in this world, God, get out of my life. I don't, I don't even want to think that you exist. And the result is they end up in slavery and sin freedom from god is slavery is slavery to sin exodus chapter 6 verse 29 the lord said to moses i am the lord tell pharaoh king of egypt all that i'm speaking to you what does that mean to you and me god does not withhold his word even from his enemies Exodus chapter 12, verse 2 I'll pass through the land of Egypt that died, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. You can't get away from it. God brings judgment on evil. When Jesus returns, he will not come back as Savior, he will come back as Judge. And he will judge evil and he will put it away. Isaiah 42 verse 6, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and have kept you. What does that speak to you and me? In the moment of salvation we receive the righteousness of Christ, not the righteousness of ourselves that saves us, but the righteousness of Christ so that we are right with God and then God wants us to live rightly. In the words that we say, in the things that we do, empowered by his spirit within us. And so we not only have imputed righteousness, but we have imparted righteousness to live a right life. And Isaiah 42, verse 8 I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. There is only one we worship. And he is God. Worship no other. So we come to John chapter 17. Jesus is just a matter of hours away now from going to the cross. And his prayer is for you. His prayer is for me. A prayer through the Holy Spirit. The John john was able to record and remember and write down for us wonderful words in john 17. jesus words i've made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world holy father protect them in your name that you have given me while i was with them i've protected them in your name that you have given me if you want to if you want to know god come to jesus I mentioned that God is beyond description, far above all that our little puny minds can kind of wrestle with or try to work out. Jesus is also beyond description, which makes sense, doesn't it? As you would say, God is, and you cannot then fill out the rest of the sentence with a full stop. So also you cannot say Jesus is and complete that sentence and put a full stop at the end. He is beyond our description, our wonderful Lord. And he's beyond manipulation. Jesus is our brother, he is our co-heir, he is our high priest, he sympathises with us in our weaknesses. But we can't manipulate him. We're to serve him. Do it with a joyful heart. And as God is beyond anticipation, so is Jesus. Makes sense. The promise is given that with his power within us, he is able to do far more, exceedingly, beyond all that we could think, dream, dream. Or imagine. Do you know that? Do you know Christ in you, able to do in and through you more than all you could ever ask, dream, think, or imagine? Let's pray. Lord, you are our God, the one God. And in this moment, our hearts are full of love for you. For it is nothing within ourselves that we have come to you while we were still sinners. Christ died for us, demonstrating the love of God. We come as your servants, Lord. What would you have of us today? How can we serve others? How can we bless others? And we come also to you, Lord, because you are the great God. And we can't anticipate what you're going to do tomorrow. We think we might have some idea. But, Lord, I love it when you break out of our little boxes that, you put, that we put you in. You bring people into our lives and we go, how good you are, God how good you are you give us experiences of you Lord that in some ways are private we can't really share with others Lord those intimate moments that we have with you you speak into our minds You use us in such simple ways and others are enormously blessed that someone would say, he's my greatest friend. She's my greatest friend. And it's all because of you. Lord, as we come and sing now, May our hearts be full. May we worship you, we pray. Amen.
1: Why don't we stand as we come to worship in response. The splendor of the King Loathed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice All the earth rejoice He wraps himself in light And darkness tries to hide And trembles at his voice trembles at his voice, how great, how great is our God, oh sing with me, how great is our God, and all oh, will see how great, how great is our God. Time is in his hands, beginning at the end, beginning at the end The God. It's our God, oh sing with me, how great is our. you are
0: to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we could ask or imagine to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.